today. It is the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is Monday, February 12th. And as Omar is sharing, the weather in Dubai is a little odd today. There's floods and rain and hailstones denting the bonnets of cars. And it has done something to my... uh, um my wi-fi so i'm just on audio today rather than video so that's probably a good thing for everybody um (laughs) (laughs) oil prices of course are trading a little bit down this morning in asia brent is at 81.89 and uh wti at 76.54 down at 30 percent but after a big momentum last week we saw six percent jump in the oil price through last week and somewhat stable this morning uh Omar Najia, Global Head of Derivatives of BB Energy, kicks us off every Monday morning. Omar, your thoughts at the moment, still sort of bouncing our head off $82 on Brent and sort of bouncing off the floor at $77, $78, whenever it drops down. Your thoughts on the market this week? I think basically we're going to take out uh, $79.26 on TI, which is plus or minus $3 higher, probably go a little bit higher than that. Um, I like... All markets, most of them, I think the world is inflationary. Uh, Whichever way you want to look at it, stagflation, inflation, whatever. But I don't think you get a recession when the U.S. has a budget deficit of $2 trillion a year and growing. Um, And I think basically that, uh, you know, you have these uh, wars. Today I read a funny headline on Bloomberg saying oil prices dip. As Iran says, um, you know, the war in Gaza will be sorted out diplomatically, which made me laugh because, uh, you know, the dip is about 20 cents or 30 cents. But at the end of the day, nothing is going to be sorted out diplomatically. Absolutely nothing. There is no going back. There is no status quo. You know, this is only going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So I think... Uh, You know, they're trying hard uh, to kind of, uh, you know, use uh, sticky tape uh, to paste it all together and hope that it looks okay. But I think I think we're going to hell in a handbasket. I think the U.S. election is going to be very interesting. I don't know what happens to Trump. I don't know if he gets honestly, I don't even know if he'll get shot or arrested or put in jail or whatever it is. I mean, it's just incredible. I've never seen a world like we have now. I've never seen the U.S. so unstable i've never seen the europe uh, clueless i've never seen the uk have like a prime minister that that was not kind of uh, you know elected it's it's a complete disaster i think so i'm not looking to sell anything uh, and i'm not looking well, to hold cash either the 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 oil price sits with all of that dramatic backdrop but doesn't seem to show any of its stress clyde russell asian commodities and energy columnist at thomson reuters Clyde, we have some stats out of the the China. The consumer price index there continues to decline. Deflation is a concern. We have uh, reports now, latest date on car sales. The prices are falling at the fastest rate in nearly 25 years in China. From a demand point of view, what does that look like? It seems to be sober for the oil price, but not too much. Yeah, China is a very interesting place at the moment, because if you were bullish, you could find a few indicators to support that view. If you were bearish, there's plenty out there. I think what if you're trying to separate it all out, there are parts of the Chinese economy that are traveling OK and others that are not doing that well. Uh, so if you're looking at the parts that are not doing that well, you've had residential construction. You now appear to have a, a little bit of a hiccup with vehicle sales, which had been a point of, of, of strength. But the overall theme is China is actually in deflation. It is exporting 
deflation to the rest of the world through cheaper manufactured goods, notwithstanding the increase we've seen in, in shipping rates because of uh, the issues around the Red Sea. As far as the oil price goes, um, I tend to look at China through the prism of uh, they tend to buy more when they see prices are relatively low and they pull back from imports when the sea prices rise. So you've got to remember that right now, January, February, what we've been seeing is oil that was bought in October, November, and that oil was actually relatively cheap. So arrivals have been strong. You saw 11.4 million barrels a day in, in December. The tracking services are looking more at about 11.3 million barrels a day in January. That's still quite high. There may be a bit of pull forward in January because all of Lunar New Year falls in February this year, which may trim February numbers a little bit. But overall, what you're actually seeing as far as oil demand goes is you're seeing quite strong numbers out of China, which is a reflection of the fact that they bought when they thought the prices were lower. If the price does go back up, you know, it's consistently above $80 and heads towards 90 I imagine that three months lag, you'll see Chinese imports uh, drop off again. Brian Perry, founding member, Energy Rogue, and has the pleasure of living in beautiful Colorado, where we all <laughs> wish we could go every now and then. Brian, we're seeing U.S. oil production on the supply side, demand weakness more or less in China, perhaps, uh, but demand or supply strength in America, we see another back to record level, 13.3 million barrels a day. Your thoughts for the outlook of that supply as we move through the first quarter? Yeah, I I'd probably say I'm a contrarian as opposed to most uh, most analysts out there are expecting growth in the United States and growth out of the Permian, which is one of the key producing basins in the United States. Um, I'm seeing signs that we're treading water. We grew from 11 million barrels a day up to 13.3, 13.4 million barrels a day. That's a lot, but it took three times the rigs to actually get that growth. So we had a 300% increase in rigs to increase by 18%. And since uh, June of last year, we've actually dropped a significant amount of rigs. So our growth engine is slowing. And every month- We did we see the rig count jump recently, didn't it? It's back up. The rig not, count, not not significantly. It is creeping up, but uh, there there is some increase in Canada, and that's and that's actually really in, interesting. I think it's to fuel some of the uh, exports on their LNG out of Kitimat. So I think they're chasing more uh, gas and oil there. But the, but the rigs have crept up, but it's not significant enough. Uh, we, we've had a twenty five percent drop. I believe that's the case since june so that 25 that growth engine is starting to slow down and uh every month the uh the united states declines by 600,000 barrels a day so that means we have to add in new production over 600,000 barrels a day because newer production declines at a faster rate so when i think about 13.3 million barrels a day and we decline every month by 600,000 barrels a day that puts a that puts us on a treadmill, and if you reduce the number of rigs, we actually are increasing the speed and the incline on the treadmill. So it's going to become harder and harder for the United States to uh, stay flat. So I think OPEC is projecting a a growth of maybe 
400,000 barrels uh, in the Permian for 2024. I'm actually expecting the United States and the Permian to decline this year. So I, it, again, I'm probably a contrarian there, but I'm starting to see leading indicators of that treadmill catching up to us. Omar, I wanted to t get into a little bit about your outlook for, uh, obviously, as you mentioned in your opening comment, there is signals of, uh, at least uh, over the weekend, you know, some suggestions that perhaps uh, the the Israel's war on Gaza has maybe, is there a pause? Maybe not. You're saying this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Ultimately, my question to you, uh, Omar, on that is, <clears throat> is that uh, sort of forecast, that outlook for things to get better or worse before they get better, is that bullish or bearish for oil prices? Well, I mean, indirectly, it's bullish because uh, wars are expensive and wars are inflationary. So, uh, yeah, I think basically, um, I mean, the the Israeli-Palestinian kind of thing that's going on is not doesn't affect oil prices. But what does affect oil prices is, for example, the Red Sea delaying everything by two weeks or more, and and that kind of, the whole the, the geopolitical picture in general whether it be Ukraine, whether it be uh, Gaza, is extremely bullish. I mean, I've been he hearing the same thing about China being, you know, collapsing and I don't know what and blah, 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 blah. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, there was Evergrande, basically, this company. They're going down the toilet. They're going to be, you know, dissolved, bankrupt. Blah, blah, blah. What happens? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, if you want to look well, at Chinese equities, scale, Chinese equities are uh, having a fairly difficult window. While obviously, yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah. Let me explain. So, in Nvidia now, Nvidia on its own yeah. is worth more than the entire Chinese stock market. Now, what do you want to buy? The entire <laughs> Chinese stock market or Nvidia? I mean, people make these decisions. You want to buy Nvidia? Go right ahead. All I'm trying to but explain. But just coming is, back to I the wouldn't. conflict. Yeah, coming back to the conflict in in the in the region, and and obviously we have, you know, fires as we've seen of the Red Sea. We have the, obviously the traumatic tragedy in Gaza. We have the sparks in Syria and Iraq and so forth. If this was escalator escalating, uh, and even in its current shape, I mean, personally, I'm I'm kind of starting to be confused as to whether it's bullish or bearish for prices because it doesn't seem to be bullish. So if it escalates, it has a macro negative economic consequence. I'm just wanted to get your insight, I, your sort of thoughts you, on that. You have to be very careful by it. I mean, uh, markets work on sentiment. They don't work in one plus one equals two, honestly. So basically, market Yeah, but the conflict is, sentiment is not bullish in this equation. I mean, it, it might be a dollar or two, but it doesn't seem to be much more than that in its current state. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, you 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 have to project forwards, right? So, what happens right. if Iran, if there's a problem with Iran, what happens then to our prices? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the escalatory okay, so, nature. So, if the if if the thing is escalating, I mean, you have to understand who's involved here. You have the West and Israel on one side, and you have Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, and Iran on the other, right? And if, if you listen to some of the lawmakers in the U.S., all about, you know, strike Iran, bomb Iran, cut off the head of the snake, all this kind of stuff, what I'm trying to suggest to you is the following. 
if you want to sell because you think that this market is non or whatever, for whatever reason, yeah. then basically people will go ahead. But every day that this thing ratches up, they get more and more nervous. And at some point, they're going to start running. And when they start running, this thing is going to explode to the upside. The US, I mean, you know, what Brian was saying about shale, I totally agree. You have basically shale, it costs so much money to, to, to produce a barrel of oil. And with interest rates where they are, you can forget about it. You can forget about shale. But still, people want to come back and, you know, the US, I don't know what, blah, blah, blah. All these things are, uh, you know, interesting to talk about. But the bottom line is this market is, is, is about fear and this market is about greed. And the people who are going to get frightened, they're not the lawns. The people who are going to get frightened are people who are brought in these markets. The S&P is over 5,000, right? How many times, you know, our target is 5,900 for, for, for this year. 5,900. Why is wow. that? If if everything is 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 deflationary and I don't know what and blah 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 why because if you have cash and a lot of people have massive capital you can't basically sit on it so if you're looking at oil you've got to either sell it or buy it right because sitting on it is not going to do you any good same with the S and P same with everything what are you going to do same with the dollar. And I'm what I'm saying to you is I want to buy it I want to buy the S and P. I want to buy gold. I want to buy Bitcoin. I want to buy oil. And I want to sell the US dollar. Right? That's that that that's my view. People can take the opposite view, but what I have on my side, I think, is basically this fear and greed. I'm not fearful that this thing gets sorted out. What I think is fearful is this thing escalating. So what am I betting? I'm betting to lose a dollar, maybe two, maybe five. But if I win, I'm gonna win a hundred. I'm gonna win so big. So yeah. Put the bet on the other side. Let's see what happens. Clyde, looking at the other side, I mean, where we might see a, a weaker sentiment, more in the gas price than the LNG price than the oil price, what does the other parts of the commodity complex tell you about the outlook going forward where oil might not be telling us not being a very accurate signal of where we're going? Well, I think... First, I would say I agree with Omar in the sense that this is very much a headline sentiment-driven market at the moment. Fundamentals are a little bit out of the window because there hasn't really been any interruption to oil supplies. Yes, there's been disruptions in shipping, and that adds to the shipping costs, but that shouldn't actually really affect the, the, the price of oil that you see in futures contracts that much because they're um, you know pre-delivery prices and not delivered prices, so they don't reflect shipping. But if you were sort of looking at, you know, what is the rest of the commodity complex telling us? Um, it's not exactly that, uh, that that positive. If you're looking at other energy commodities, there's plentiful LNG around. You've seen the price in Asia remain weak over winter. There hasn't really been a seasonal spike, even though volumes have been strong. What's really happening there is you've got record exports from the US, record exports from Australia, and almost record exports from Qatar. So your supply has grown quite dramatically in LNG, and the demand, while it has grown, it hasn't grown by more than the supply has. So that's kept the spot price is muted. I mean, yes, warm weather in Europe uh, has certainly helped. It was a, wasn't a brutal winter in, in North Asia either. So that, that kind of has helped uh, the situation there. But if you look at other commodities, copper, iron ore, coal, 
they're, they're all telling you that things are sort of bubbling along, but not really giving you much direction. That's why I say at the moment, it's all headline driven. And I think if you're actually looking at the stuff in the Middle East, yes, there's a fear that it ratchets up. But there's also uh, the equal possibility that things just continue on, that Gaza remains the, the mess that it's always been un unsatisfactory, doesn't get resolved. Uh, this, what, is a, what does that sort of scenario mean? I mean, if you actually look at it, I think there's been a lot of behind-the-scenes work, particularly by the Chinese. They are big losers out of this. Their manufactured exports to Europe get more expensive because they can't go through the Suez Canal. Their oil imports get more expensive. So they are telling their allies, you know, turn it down. We don't want trade disruptions. And if you actually see, you know, the, the Houthis have sort of calmed down. The Hamas didn't really get all the support it wanted from the rest of the Arab world. It's, uh, you know, it's. I, I, I tend to think that this is one of these conflicts that grabs headlines but doesn't really alter the fundamentals. Brian, one of the other big questions inevitably is the outlook for the U.S. economy, which, uh, I mean, on the on the supply side of oil, you mentioned there, you're looking at a, a, a contrarian view that it's sort of neutral to negative in terms of additional supply this year. But the macro outlook for the U.S. is seems to be somewhat confusing. Uh, I is it in a very healthy state? It seems the sentiment in America is, despite full employment. Uh, record stock markets that the economy seems to have a a negative temperament to it. AI and the president and Biden and so on doesn't seem to be getting any wins from that. Uh, uh, and the Fed, Fed rate outlook cuts now seem to be further away than nearer. Where do, where do you intersect the sort of macro outlook for for the U.S. economy and energy demand uh, as we go into this sort of further deeper into this year? You know, I'll I'll um I'll just piggyback off uh, a point that Omar made is that the value of the dollar is is really higher than it ought to be because there's just it it's underpinned by so much debt. And if you look at the consumer debt, if you look at the uh, government debt, the United States is really has a lot of debt to it. Relatively speaking to other economies, this is where it gets more complicated. Sometimes money flows into the dollar because it's a better credit risk than the alternatives. Uh, that that's that's a wormhole that we could go down. But as far mm -hmm. as the economy, I've expected a slowdown uh, and recession, not the one that we've heard about the last uh, sixteen months, but uh, it, dating all the way back from two thousand eight. There's been this continual kick the can quantitative easing, just expansion, expansion, expansion of money, uh, money printing. And so when you look at that, everything is aligned inflationary. But if you take crude oil prices today versus 10 years ago, it's virtually the same. And as as uh, Omar and Clyde were referencing I mean, the, the cost of other goods, the cost of other services, everything else is is maybe five to 10 times that level. So uh, crude oil prices, I think, are aligned for an upside. The U.S. economy is, is quite frankly a puzzle because I think there should be a contraction. However, that contraction seems to be kicked down the road through uh, new debt creation. So well, we had this latest latest surge. I mean, if the equity markets are uh, what an indicator of what uh, obviously 
typically they're an indicator of the future profitability of the companies listed. Uh, and the surge in the equity markets in the fourth quarter was was very firmly on the back of the expectation that we were very quickly going into a significant rate cut cycle. And that's why all the equity markets surged, because inevitably that would mean more profit for the companies, more dividends and all the obvious things. That has now been squarely been knocked off the table. And yet the equity markets are still soaring ahead. Uh, so, so what is what is the uh, uh, the narrative like? What are they soaring ahead on now when it's going to be higher rates for longer? I mean, what does it tell us about the health of the American economy, or does it? So I started uh, I started my company Energy Road back in 2021, and part of the reason was in previous uh, careers I had worked at several uh, shops, and one shop was a company that was worth $5 billion, and they were funding an asset acquisition on the oil side of the equation. And I, I looked at the financing, and I, I went to the CFO, and I said, you're, you're, you're laying on a lot of debt. I mean, essentially, you're putting on a 17-year commodity debt. And he said, well, Brian, if you can borrow at 6% and make 9%, why wouldn't you? And I said, yeah, but the 9%, that's not fixed that floats. You're borrowing 6%, which is set. The 9% floats. Sometimes it may be two, sometimes it may be 10. You know, it's it's going to float around. So there's no guarantee. So I think when you look at the money flows, there is a lot of debt that translates to investments. And that uh, that gets back to kind of the premise that Omar touched on, which if you have cash in the bank, you've got to do something with it. You know, so where do you where do you deploy that? Do you deploy that in in uh, this fund or this fund or this fund? And the United States housing market has so many paid off homes now that there's a lot of disposable income in baby boomers and and right. so what is it? Yeah, that's an interesting baby boomer one is is a, I think an, another rabbit hole one could certainly go down because I right. do think it's quite a significant factor as to why the American economy is doing better than maybe the macro analysis would otherwise tell us. But let's go to the survey question and then sort of come back for a round of. Uh, a more immediate, i.e., the next week, the next days. What is what does the world look like? Uh, so the question today is inevitably focused a little bit on what was uh, Omar's opening comment or opening critique, which is uh, the regional conflict. Uh, if indeed we are going into a um, you know some sort of an end game. Uh, hence the headlines over the weekend, is that bullish or bearish for prices? Uh, that's the question. Uh, and then we bring up that survey question onto the screen. Um, we can all get a chance to tick our box on that. Um, did it come up? It didn't come up on my screen, but maybe it came up on others. Uh, it did. Yes, there it is. Okay. Um, the... Omar, just looking forward this week, uh, where do you think? I mean, last week we saw a big rally back up above 86%. We're starting the week in Asia a little bit uncertain, but of course it's very early doors. What do you think the week ahead looks like? I think we need to get at least three, four dollars higher before we pull back significantly so higher. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is that if you look at uh, the US, if you think that the stock market is going up because uh, they're making uh, money and it's a reflection of company making money, companies making money, 
What you have to understand is only about seven of these companies are actually moving up and dragging the S&P up with them. The rest are not. That is not basically people putting money because they get the, the companies are going to basically make money. No, no. The, what that is, is basically a fear of holding on to cash. So if you fear holding on to cash, what are you going to buy? You're going to buy a very, very narrow set of seven companies. And I would agree with that. And I would buy them and I would buy them here and I would buy them if they go higher because they are, um, uh, you know, they, they are a quote unquote safe bet. But what it's showing you is a fear. People want to get rid of this cash. They want to be in something. And that is not deflationary. You can't have the US government spending an extra $2 trillion a year and have it be anything except inflationary. You can't and can you have US... rate cuts as well? I mean, to add fire to even the, you more, know, fuel even, to the fire? Man, big time, even more inf inflationary. So the US has all this debt, right? This debt means they pay interest, which is in itself inflationary because all these people receiving that interest, you know, what are they going to do with their cash? They're either going to buy Apple or they're going to buy Amazon or whatever, but they're certainly not going to buy you know, whatever, uh, GI engineering. It's, it's just not going to happen. So, so yeah, I think basically it's, it's going to be, it's going to be inflationary. This, this world based, this thing is going to go high. So, and then and that's all going to be in the financial markets. Ultimately, that's where the liquidity gets, that's uh, where it's been absorbed for the last 10 years. It's not going to stop. There's no indicator for it to stop. Uh, let's go to China, uh, Clyde and get your thoughts. Obviously we're in the China new year week. Um, there's uh, a lot of uh, sort of holiday time in, in Asia or China and so forth. W where's the outlook? What's the impact there in typical trend line for first quarters in China? Well, I think, I mean, as you're right, with the Lunar New Year holidays, nothing's going to happen this week. It will take a little while for things to pick up once they all get back. Um, in, in general terms, you know, as far as commodity imports go, the Chinese have been buying quite a lot. Um, if you're looking at oil specifically, they weren't, uh, the refiners, were, they get quotas. Uh, their quotas weren't any more for 24 than they were for 23. The difference is they got them all up front. So they, what that does give them is a lot of flexibility. They don't have to buy within certain calendar periods. They can buy as much as when they see prices are cheap and as little as when they see prices are expensive. So uh, that's kind of how I expect things to go. Uh, as far as oil goes. Um, it's also a very easy win for China to boost refining. It gives them a nice economic kick straight away. And at the moment, product markets are still quite strong in Asia, um, especially for diesel. So they're incentivized to, to import crude and produce it into fuels and export those fuels again. So I expect that trade will continue for a little bit of, a little bit of time. But the rest of the Chinese economy, yeah, it's not looking so good. It is exporting deflation to the world. I expect that will also continue. Will it be enough um, to prevent a, you know, a, a renewed inflation round in the West? I, I Probably not. But it's kind of interesting uh, that China is sitting in a spot. It typically, uh, Clyde, China uh, goes into the Lunar New Year holiday having bought or you know bought a lot of imports bought a lot of oil and then it, it sort of flattens out i mean is that a cycle in play this first quarter as well that uh big yes, buy in the it, first it, month it, and then soften for the second and third it, it does depend on where the lunar new year falls if it falls quite right. a lot in 
then there tends to be a push back into February imports. Um, if it falls in, as it has this time, entirely within February, then you do find a pull forward into January, especially on short dated or short delivery commodities. So stuff that they can get from Russia um, and oil that would be, you know, like Espo um, oil from Russia, but also coal from Indonesia and things like that. So there's probably been quite a bit of pull forward into January you might see slightly less in, in, in February because of that. But if you actually look at, you know, uh, overall, uh, as long as the prices that they're getting are, are still reasonable, and for oil, that means probably, you know, up until at least April, though they might be importing quite a lot. The recent price rises will start to be uh, felt from sort of May onwards. Uh, Brian, last word to you. You mentioned in your earlier comment the outlook for U.S. oil production uh, in the, the year as a whole, and obviously every uh, a, a month uh, it needs to add uh, just to stay in the same place uh, in terms of depletion. But what about your outlook for the other Amer parts of the Americas, Canada, Mexico, Guyana, Venezuela? Could we expect uh, a lot of new supply from there in the, in, in, in the uh, quarters ahead? So Canada, definitely. Mexico, I'd probably see as probably stable to flat. Uh, Guyana, uh, that one I'm watching, I don't think that's going to be a rapid development. That, that might not be a 2024 story in my view. It might be more of a 2025 story. Um, Venezuela is kind of grinding up a bit, but I think Mexico is probably going to be flat. Growth in Canada might actually be a lot stronger on a percentage basis than the United States. So that's that's the one that I'm watching right now. Now, a lot of their rigs may be deployed because of the export LNG facility on their western coast that is expected uh, expected online within the next uh, within the next 14 months. And that is going to be a significant development. But most of the rigs are dedicated for new production that is going that way. Not so much crude production because Canada you either need to produce the gas or the crude. It's not both. So you either use the gas to get more crude or uh, drill only for the gas. So that's what I'm expecting. Well, certainly OPEC Plus would love to hear your uh, analysis and believe in it, because uh, if, Amer <laughs> if the Americas are flat in terms of their additional supply this year, that would certainly be great news for OPEC Plus, because that would give them some chance to maybe pull back a little bit from their steep cuts. And that will be an interesting story to watch, at least on the supply side, uh, uh, as compared to where is demand going. We're going to have to leave it there. As we say, oil prices starting the week a little bit flat after a big run-up last week. Will that run-up get some mojo as Europe and the Americas open uh, in the coming hours? We'll have to wait and see. Thank you so much, guys. Great to have you back on the program and have a great week, Omar Najia, in uh, Dubai, flooded Dubai today. You're going to swim down to the local Starbucks because they're not <laughs> delivering. They're just not delivering today. Uh, Clyde Russell, of course, in Australia. Lovely to have you. Thanks, Clyde, for your insights today. Yeah. Brian Pierre in Colorado. Take care. Have a great day. And uh, we'll catch up every morning, 1030 UAE time. All the best. Thank you.